0: The reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 11, beginning at verse one. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, tell him, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to and the people let them go. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, If anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven, May forgive you your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be
1: to God. God. Should we pray together? Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us to try to work out what you want us to know, but that you have told us clearly. I pray that we would be um, open to you this morning, that we would be listening carefully, and that you would be changing our hearts. Amen. In December 2009, Oxford received a visit from Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Well, she had come to see new galleries at the Ashmolean Museum and also to visit Brasenose College, which is celebrating its 500th anniversary. Maybe some of you were there. Well, I understand that the, cre- the Queen received a warm welcome. It may have been that there were a few anti-royalty, anti-monarchy protests, but I didn't hear about them. And No one questioned the Queen's identity or her right to visit Oxford in this manner. I'm not quite sure how the Queen got to Oxford. Perhaps it was by Bentley limousine or possibly Rolls-Royce. It would have been a little unexpected if Her Majesty had clattered up Beaumont Street riding a donkey foal. It's not what you'd expect of royalty. But for Jesus to come to Jerusalem on a donkey was a highly significant act. It was a blatant claim to royalty. It was a fulfillment of a prophecy made in Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Well, in the first 10 chapters of Mark, Jesus has carefully guarded his identity as the Messiah. But chapter 11 is the beginning of a new section and a new phase. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and the rest of his ministry takes place within the confines of the holy city and within Holy Week. Arriving in Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey to the cries of Hosanna and blessed is is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is a provocative messianic act. In doing so, he lays down the gauntlet, offering himself as the Lord's agent, the coming Davidic king of Israel. He's challenging people to either accept him or reject him as the Messiah. It's a challenge. The Galilean pilgrims accompanying him would appear to hail him as the one that comes in the name of the Lord, but it soon becomes obvious that the Jerusalem authorities reject him. Well, we explore this in the rest of the sermon under four headings. I'll give you four headings the temple, the tree, the tragedy, and the triumph. Temple, tree, tragedy, and triumph. As you might expect of a king arriving in a capital, Jesus heads straight for the heart of the city. In this case, it is the temple. No doubt, just before the queen's visit to the Ashmolean, exhaustive preparations would have been made to ensure that everything was just right, not a thing out of place. The temple authorities, however, were not ready for Jesus. Perhaps Jesus' visit was a bit like an unannounced Ofsted school inspection visit to just about the worst school in the country. Any teachers here might sink as I hear mention of Ofsted. I thought you might like to hear this true report from December the 10th, 1913. The inspectors report to the school board as follows. The affairs of this school are ill-managed by a committee of languid, inept amateurs, and the school is staffed by two incompetent teachers. To form the minds of children and direct their efforts into beneficial channels, the teachers must at least know more than their charges. The headmaster is so absorbed in administrative and financial concerns that he neglects the intellectual and spiritual development of the children. That was a true report. I'm sure the queen was kinder in her assessment of the new Ashmolean galleries. Jesus, however, seems to take a very dim view of the state of the temple. The temple was the center of Jewish life, and to a large extent it represented the nation. The state of the official temple Uh, Worship was a kind of a barometer, a barometer of the religious life of the nation, but the reading was not good. That which should have been devoted to God had been fatally contaminated by commerce. It had become a marketplace where money changers charged excessive commissions and where the prescribed system of animal sacrifice was used as a cover for money-making. The temple court was even used as a shortcut for those wanting to travel between the city and the Mount of Olives, a convenient route for traders right through the heart of the temple. Well, instead of being a serene and dignified house of prayer for all nations, somewhere dedicated to and focused on God, it was a place that was busy and smelly, focused on another type of God altogether. It had been, it had been desecrated but not by the overt images of idols, but by a much more subtle idol, that of money. Such was its corruption that Jesus described it as a den of thieves. The external trappings of religion were still present, but it was a spiritually empty place. It was spiritually barren. Well, the account of Jesus' encounter with the fig tree gives us a vivid illustration of what was going on and what would be the result. The story of the fig tree is in many ways a perplexing incident and one that potentially paints Jesus in a somewhat embarrassing picture, in embarrassing light. It seems that Jesus, hoping out of season to find figs on a tree, is unreasonably disappointed to find none. He then seems to capriciously curse the poor tree, which hadn't done anything wrong. But the fact that this incident is wrapped around the account of Jesus' visit to the temple suggests that there is more to it than that. It's important also to realize that the fig tree is a common Old Testament image for God's people, Israel. The fig tree is Israel. Well, the whole episode is, in fact, an acted parable, a vivid illustration of a deep and important truth. So what is it with figs? Well, you may not know this about me, but I love figs. I love all types of figs, fresh figs, dried figs, Fig rolls, even syrup of figs. I adore them all. Well, have you come across these? Ready to eat next slide. Ready to eat figs. Next one. Thanks. Ready to eat figs. Suitable for vegetarians. Preaching is hungry work, so I think I'll tuck in. Oh, how disappointing. <laughs> Nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. That is not what it claims to be. All mouth and trousers, sorry, I, Trade Descriptions Act and Co-op actually do produce it with figs inside. I just, I, I'm aware that this is being recorded and it could go the wrong way. Um, I do recommend the Co-op red to eat figs. Um, but this was not what it claimed to be. It was useless. And when Jesus encountered this fig tree, it promised to be something that it failed to live up to. Despite being in leaf, it didn't have any fruit. There was nothing but leaves. It was an empty promise, and the Jerusalem temple was the same. It was all show and no substance, an impressive building housing unimpressive hearts. Its problem was that it was not rooted in and focused on God, but it had become distracted by the temptation of other things. It was no longer a house of prayer, but a den of thieves. Nothing but leaves. Well, we need to be careful that our lives don't become like the Jerusalem temple or like the barren fig tree. It's so easy to focus on the externals, on the show, but lose sight of the heart. It's easy to be concerned about the buildings, about the activities, and even about what we call the worship, but not really be focused on God at all. God wants his people to be united in a house of prayer, committed to and devoted to him from the heart outwards. Worship isn't simply about the externals, the meetings, the songs, the mission statements, or the activities. Those are just leaves. Worship is fundamentally about the heart relationship with God, and being rooted in God produces fruit the fruit of godly character and good deeds. It was leafy fruitlessness that the Old Testament prophets condemned. God said of his people through Isaiah, These people come to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They wor- the worship, their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. To be fruitful, our hearts need to be close to God. If we simply go through the motions of worship, we are nothing but leaves. But God wants fruit. God wants fruit. And what was the result of the fruitlessness of the temple? What would happen to that which was found to be not in fruit? Well, the result was to be judgment. I was reminded of a news story about an outbreak of E. coli food poisoning, in which more than 150 adults and children fell ill, and a five year old boy, Mason Jones, died. Well, the outbreak was traced to contaminated meat supplied to more than 40 schools in South Wales by a but- butcher's in Bridge End. It turned out that the butcher, William Tudor, had sold rotten meat for years. And although he was fully trained in food hygiene, he disregarded it in order to save money. Though aware of the risks, he routinely used the same equipment for cooked and uncooked meats, his staff regularly having to wipe blood off when they were packing cooked meat. It was reported that even when meat was turning yellow, he would tell his staff to mince it up and put it in the faggots, because the spiciness would hide the taste of the rotting meat. Well, following the outbreak that led to the death of Mason, Tudor's plant was closed down and he himself was jailed. Well, in that sad story, commercial interests overrode more important concerns. Great damage resulted and it led to judgment and the whole corrupt enterprise being shut down. Jesus brought down judgment on the fig tree and he turned over the tables in the temple. This was no act of reformation. The tables were almost certainly up the next day, business as usual. Jesus' act was a demonstration of what was coming. Judgment on a system that was not bearing fruit. Worship that was nothing but leaves. This was taken a step further five days later when Jesus was on the cross and the temple curtain was ripped from top to bottom. And within a generation in AD 70, Jerusalem itself was destroyed by the Romans. But even the destruction of Jerusalem was a prefiguring, a warning of what will come on all those who are not engaged in the true worship of God, bearing fruit in their lives. This is serious stuff, and there is a terrible finality to the words of Jesus to that fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. This was said in the hearing of his disciples so that the warning could be passed on. But how can anyone escape this terrible fate? How can we not be like that Jerusalem temple or that unfortunate fig tree? Well, we need to recognize and receive Jesus. We need to recognize and receive Jesus. The Jerusalem authorities failed to recognize God's Messiah, as they were not rooted in a true understanding of God. And they didn't receive God's Messiah as their Lord and Savior. But Jesus promises that anyone who is rooted in him will be fruitful. As he says in John 15, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Rootedness in Jesus comes from recognizing and receiving him. Fruitfulness comes about by faith, as Jesus goes on to explain in the last section of our reading, from verse 22. What is the link between Jesus' teaching about prayer and the fig tree? Well, it's surely not to make the point that if we have faith enough, we too can curse. I'm not aware of anywhere that Jesus teaches us that we should be cursing people. Quite the opposite. The link is surely that faith is the way to avoid fruitlessness, and judgment. Humanly, it's impossible for us to meet God's perfect requirements, to produce the kind of perfect crop that's acceptable to God. As we learned in the previous chapter of Mark, it can be as difficult as for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Here, Jesus says that it might be as difficult as telling a mountain to be thrown into the sea. But in both chapter 10 and here, We learn that with God, if we ask in faith, all things are possible. All things are possible. In less than a week from this incident, Jesus would be on the cross, paying the price for the rebellion and failing of people. Jesus takes on himself the punishment due to us for the lack of good fruit in our lives. And Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to all who have faith in him so that they may live fruitful lives. Lives characterized by godly character and good works. As Jesus says again in John 15, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Do read John 15 when you get a chance. It's highly relevant, John chapter 15. To accept Jesus as God's Messiah and to have faith in him is the way to be fruitful. And that faith is to receive what God wants to give, and it's expressed in prayer. Whatever we ask for in prayer will be given to us, including that thing that we need the most, which is forgiveness of our sins. Well, in conclusion, then, we all fail to produce fruit in our lives, but because of Jesus, God answers our prayers and gives us what we need. Jesus isn't just the judge but also the Savior. Hosanna was the cry of the people who recognized Jesus' claim to kingship. Hosanna means God saves. And that is also what the name Jesus means. God saves. Jesus will save us from unfruitfulness and judgment if we, unlike the Jerusalem authorities, recognize that Jesus is God's Messiah, if we submit to his rule and receive that salvation that he freely offers. Amen.